You are listening to the Embassy Church Podcast, and here is today's message. For those of you who don't know who in the world I am, uh, my name is Wayne Thiessen, and I am the Associate Minister here. I've just been, on Sunday mornings, I've been gone for the last year somewhere else. But here I am. It's good to be, it's good to be back. Um, did you notice our, our bucket? Isn't that cool? That's our wishing well. So you come and you throw money in the water and wish that the roof stops leaking. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Um, we have Anita Pierce with us this morning. And uh, she um, has been a missionary evangelist for over 30 years. She was born in southern Saskatchewan. Where in southern Saskatchewan? Mooseman. Anybody know where Mooseman is? She's from Mooseman. And she's been in over 40 countries over the last 30 years, um, just doing what Jesus wants her to do, just doing what the Lord wants her to do. In Galatians, it lists the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, suffering. Uh, not suffering. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I shouldn't have tried to list them off. Well, they're the, there's, the, there's, the, there's the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians. Um, and one of those is joy. And if you've never heard Anita Pierce, you will see the joy of the Lord in her within five minutes of her getting the microphone. Because um, she does have joy. And, and the fruit of the Spirit is an evidence that she has the Spirit. She has the Holy Spirit within her. So as she comes to talk... And she comes to give a message this morning and tell us what God has on her heart. Um, welcome her and know that she has the Spirit of God within her, and she will say what the Spirit of God wants her to. And she has the Spirit of books. <laughs> Thank you. Waliati! I am honored to be with you all again this morning. Uh, it's uh, about a year and a half, I think, that I was here the last time, uh, and then a year and a half before that, so that kind of gives you an idea uh, how often I show up. But anyway, I am, uh, uh, it usually takes about that long for you all to recover. <laughs> but anyway, I am very thankful. And I, I want to say a special thanks uh, to Sister Doreen and her sidekicks that took me for supper last night, uh, Mary and Trouty, and also uh, my sister Patience, uh, who is here, and her husband. Thank you so much for your hospitality. I, I thoroughly enjoyed being able to stay in your home. And to each of you, some of you I've known for quite a, a long time, and I think I'm going to have to update my webpage because uh, it's actually that it was 41 years that I had traveled because <laughs> I started when I was three. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, we won't go there. But uh, uh, actually, that's until COVID came. And uh, so, the, but actually, during it all, believe it or not, amazing, the Lord has opened doors and I've been able to be very busy between uh, up to nine Zooms a week uh, uh, in various things and also uh, uh, preaching someplace within driving distance, at least during the first couple of years of COVID, within a few miles of, of uh, where I'm living now in various churches. I was busy almost every weekend. So, you know, God is faithful. Uh, with Sister Pleasant, uh, Patience, we were talking about, well, Pleasant, <laughs> we were talking about the faithfulness of God. You know, all of us, when we look back over our life, God has been so faithful. That's why you're still here. That's why you're still standing. It's all glory to God, isn't it? We, we've come through some stuff, but we've come through with God's grace. Isn't that wonderful? Now, I do have a table that is available on the back table uh, 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 of books and CDs. And uh, by the way, we have three titles of country gospel music that is available on the table. But how many listen to downloaded music online on your phone? Let me see your hands. Okay, all of my music is now available for download on your phone. You can pay <laughs> online, and we have four 
albums of my own original music that is playing on iTunes and Spotify and Amazon Music. That's just since the last two weeks. So that's kind of new. I, I've not even done it myself, but I don't want to pay for my own. Anyway, um, uh, then we've got these books. And uh, I'll just mention that we have these, 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 these books. Uh, I had them when I was here the last time, Above the Storm, Joy in the Journey, and this one is the newest, The Midnight Song. Uh, these three books are easy reading, very similar to Our Daily Bread. Uh, if you're familiar with Daily Bread or Reader's Digest or um, Chicken Soups, it's just little short stories, little short stories of some of my adventures in which I am trying to see the hand of God at work in the daily situation. You know, there's a lot of situations that happen, you know, like you trip and you fall on ice or, or you have a bumper tap uh, on the parking lot or you find a bargain in the store, stuff. But if you look, you can see the hand of God everywhere. So that's kind of what these are about. And then besides that, we've got these three books, which for me personally uh, are, are very important messages. And this is what we used on Zoom. We went through these with various groups that were interested. Choose to live life. Choose a changed mind. Choose a contented heart. I really want people to understand that God has given us the power of choice. And that even though he has given us all these wonderful promises, he's done all these things for us, you and I have responsibility, personal responsibility, for the choices we make, the choices about what we do, who we are, and what we think is choice. And so that is the message in various ways of these three books. And the more you buy, the better your price. <laughs> Do your Christmas shopping early. Beat the rush. Okay, we're going to sing a little tune here. Let's go for it. I forgot to ask what time we finished, so. <laughs> okay, music. How many like country gospel? Check out the table. You may be disappointed by the way life has gone. Your heart has been broken. You feel rejected and alone when it seems all is lost and despair.
God has it all together. Oh, praise the Lord. Now, somebody asked if I'd sing another one, so I'm going to sing two this morning. This song, we're coming up to Easter. You know that? We're coming up to Easter in three months. <laughs> Uh, anyway, just so you know, it's coming. Uh, and uh, uh, the, But the fact is, Jesus is alive. Isn't that great? Uh, so when I wrote this song, I was thinking about, uh, you know, Mary Magdalene. And when she met the resurrected Christ, what a moment, what a, what a thrill that was. This is your signal music. <laughs> What a thrill, and for you and I, when we resurrected Christ, what a tremendous thing. She came early in the morning to weep by the garden tomb. Jesus had been crucified, her heart was full of gloom, but the stones rolled away. She couldn't find him anywhere. Then Jesus spoke her name. She cried, Master, you are here. She ran to tell the good news, all the hope the world longed for. Jesus is alive again. He is risen. He is Lord. When I saw serve a living, risen, all-powerful Savior. I would like you to turn with me this morning to the book of Matthew, and I want to start reading from Matthew chapter 4. I'm going to read a fairly long text, Matthew 4, verses 3 to 10, and I, I, I have a rather serious message for you this morning, but I feel considering the day in which we live, it is extremely important. And so I want you to receive this as God himself challenging you to walk ever closer to him. 
I want to talk this morning about the fourth temptation. Now, Jesus had a lot of temptations, but for a title, we're going to call it the fourth temptation. But we're going to start with the three that are most familiar, that we talk about all the time, the three temptations of Christ. And I'm reading from the old King James, and so that's what they're going to put up this morning. Uh, did I say Matthew 3? I meant chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, and I'm going to start in verse 3. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. And he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee. And in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone." Jesus saith unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And he saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. So in these familiar scriptures, it is describing the three temptations or categories, we could actually say, of temptations that Jesus was subjected to when Satan came to him. Jesus had been water baptized and then by the Spirit had gone into the wilderness and for 40 days and 40 nights he had been fasting and alone in the wilderness with his father and pre in preparation for the great work that God had given him to do. And now nearing the end of this, it seems, is when Satan came to tempt him and to, to try to test him. And I have noticed as we read through these, did you notice there is one thing that the devil tried to do in every one of these temptations? The devil attacked his identity. Isn't that interesting? In every one of these, if thou be the son of God, if thou wilt worship me, if thou be the son of God, again and again, Satan came, came and his, his thing was to put the question about your identity, if, if you really are the Son of God. And I've observed that as often that's how he comes to you and I. He would attack our identity in Christ if God really loved you, if God's word is true sowing doubt and especially sowing doubt regarding our identity in Christ and his love and his care for us. Isn't that an interesting thing? Uh, and when we can pin it down, it can make us perhaps more conscious of how to resist and avoid his temptation. And, and he tried to manipulate his identity. And so it's important for us to know his tactics because he, he, 
He, he tries to manipulate us into thinking in a, a, a mind full of doubt and darkness. He, he manipulates. He's treacherous in that way. Temptation. Now, we all are very familiar with it. If there's anybody that's not been tempted, <laughs> it's coming. It's coming very soon. So, just so you know. But we know, we know kind of what it is. But what is temptation really? Oswald Chambers gave a terrific definition, in my opinion. Temptation is a suggested shortcut to what we think is good. Not bad. Huh. We're not tempted to do what we know, well, not well, what we think is going to be bad, but we're tempted to what, take a shortcut to what we think will give us a gratification or something pleasant or something good. That's so, such a clear definition. I'm going to say it and I'm going to get you to say it out loud after me. Temptation is a suggested shortcut to what we think is good. Now, in these three temptations, we can clearly see the enemy is coming with suggestions of a shortcut to something that would get an immediate satisfaction or a gratification or an immediate thrill or an immediate uh, uh, prestige or something like that. And just for the sake of my own clarity, I've put these into three categories. The first one we could call the thing about the turning the, 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 the stone into bread. We could call that the gratification of pleasure. Let me read those two scriptures again. Matthew 4, 3 and 4. When the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, commanded these stones be made bread. Now he's been fasting for 40 days. He's hungry. And the devil offers him a shortcut. You need, don't need to go shopping. You don't need to go visit a friend. You don't need to uh, stop and cook. Look! If you're the son of God, just turn those stones into bread. You can eat right now, right now. If any of you fasted for any time, you know what I mean. You can eat right now. Any old dry crumb will work. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. The temptation was for an instant gratification of self-satisfaction, of selfish pleasure, which fits very well into our world of consumerism in which we are today, and fills our lives with useless trinkets, roomfuls of junk we never use. <laughs> Right? <laughs> and we fill our life with possessions. I tell you what, I've learned to be a minimalist, living out of a suitcase for 41 years, because I was on the road eight to 10 months of the year. I learned to be a minimalist, because everything that went with me, I had to carry. And the older I got, the heavier it got, and the more useless it appeared. But nevertheless, possessions. We are so uh, offered a world of possessions, possessions, uh, stuff, and not just possessions, but selfish pleasure. The enemy comes with an offer of a shortcut. Why wait till you can afford it? <laughs> just slide the plastic. Or the self-gratification, why wait till you get married? Just shack up now. 
The devil comes and says, I can give you a shortcut and you'll have all the goods without the price. He offers us a shortcut to things that we think is good, things that will make us happy, things that will make us satisfied, things that will gratify us. Everything to do with pleasure has everything to do with turning stones into bread. I want it and I want it now. Most of us recognize it. We don't pay much attention to it, but we recognize it. My devotional for this morning, Oswald Chambers, which I read, he said, our problem is not that we willfully disobey. We just choose to ignore him because we don't think that God is, you know, he, he, it's really not that important. So if we just ignore it, maybe he'll go away. Very interesting. The second temptation. The second temptation. Look at verses 5, 6, and 7. What, what is a category that this fits in our lives, this shortcut business? Look at what it says. Then the devil taketh them up into, a whole, into the holy city and sitteth them on a pinnacle of the temple and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and so in their hands, in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus saith unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. I think we could safely say that we could name this as a category of pride. If the first temptation is the whole category of the suggested shortcut to pleasure, then the second category we could perhaps say is a suggested shortcut with pride. Pride. We could maybe say, the devil was saying, you know, if you cast yourself down, everybody's going to see you just swoop down. They're going to wait for the crash and you'll just stand up and walk off and they'll be wowed and oohed and awed by what a phenomena you are. This whole gamut of popularity, of, of prestige, of position, and the glory of the world. Perhaps we could call this, this category of pride that comes to us. In 1 John, it's, there's a scripture that says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father but is of the world, and the world passes away in the lust thereof. So there is this suggested shortcut to presumptuous faith, to a demonstration so that the world sees. Wow! And we have seen that in Christendom, where people come to see and to seek after the popular but not to seek after Christ for who he is. It's very important. There is a suggested shortcut of, to pride. And then just for the sake of describing the third temptation, let's read verse 8, 9, and 10 again. Again, the devil take them up into an exceeding high mountain and showed them all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and saith unto him, All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Could we say for a category that this has everything to do with a shortcut to power. Power. 
Satan was offering Jesus the fast road, the short road. You don't have to do the cross bit. You can have it now. Just fall down and worship me, and you can own the world. Because at that time, it was Satan's right to give. And so he says, but here's the shortcut. Here's the shortcut, man. Just fall down, worship me, and you can have it all now. Power. I heard an interesting statement of all the lusts of humanity. The most serious is the lust for power. Because you can tell it by what people will kill for. Some may kill for sex. More would maybe kill for money. But untold millions have been slaughtered even today. Because one man wants power. Started long time ago with the pharaohs, Nebuchadnezzar, Hitler, Putin, and thousands of others that have crossed the world scene, who have slaughtered innocents by the millions. Herod, Herod slaughtered the innocent children because he wanted power, power. And the unfortunate thing that I see here is that it isn't just on the world stage, but it can slip into homes. It can slip into churches. It can slip into workplaces. The struggle for power. How many have seen it? Yeah. Uh, tell your neighbor, you better lift your hand. Everybody come on, lift your hand. I mean, not everywhere we can see this vying for power, power. Jesus was offering, Satan was offering Jesus the opportunity, a shortcut to power, raw human political prestigious power. This thing rattles. <laughs> you know what, folks? It's very important for us to recognize that the glory of this world and the positions and the politicking that goes on is so, so destructive and is so opposite of the spirit of Jesus. It's so destructive. You know, all during this COVID thing and, and, and all kinds of ugly heads of arguing was risen, rising up all over the place. People were getting pushed their nose out of joint of uh, all kinds of stuff. And in the middle of it, I, I got thinking, how can I know the truth? You know what? It's not who's right or who's wrong that counts. It's how is God glorified? Is the spirit of Jesus present in this argument, in this discussion? It's not who's right or who's wrong. When we stand in front of God, he's not going to say, well, you were right and you were wrong. No, no, no. He's going to say, was God glorified? How was God? glorified in my attitude my spirit did I carry the spirit of Jesus and if there is one thing that is so opposite to the spirit of Jesus it's this politicking power business that people search after to pull down and to get themselves somehow at the top of the pile <laughs> like really 
And, 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 and you know, how important for us to recognize Jesus was being tempted by a shortcut, just a shortcut. Just fight for it now, and you've got it. And I'll tell you, if he'd got it then, he'd have been a slave forever. And for those who struggle for the top now, they become a slave to their, to their power. They said that Stalin of Russia was so insecure, and I can imagine Putin's the same. He's looking for somebody everywhere, anywhere, anybody that's in power, expecting at any moment that all the backs he stabbed will turn and stab him. How many understand what I mean? I mean, always looking over your shoulder, but you gotta be very careful here. You become a slave to the thing you yield to. Jesus said, if you yield to sin, then that thing will be your master. You become a slave to sin. Y'all are so quiet. I, I knew this was a serious message, but I think I kind of scared y'all. The worst is yet to come. No. <laughs> Understanding what I'm saying. How many understand? Now, this is simple, basic gospel Bible. This is simple Bible. How many are glad you came? How many wish you didn't? No, no, don't. don't okay. I notice two things about how Jesus dealt with these temptations, these suggested shortcuts. Number one, we know it well. He always used the Word of God. He used the Word of God. It is written. It is written. That's why I have been impressed in this assembly before and encourage you much. Learn the Word of God. Read the Word of God. Make the Word of God a priority in your life every day. Study the Word of God. Know the Word of God so that you will have it continually coming up in your mind when various temptations will come, shortcuts, uh, shortcuts to what you think is good, but you know is wrong. He used the Word of God. And the second thing I noticed how Jesus dealt with these temptations, he never argued. He never tried to reason with the devil. As soon as we start arguing or reasoning with the devil, we're done. Because the devil always, always speaks through the reasoning of the human mind. God always, always speaks through the conscience. The awareness of that which is highest within us. God always takes the side of the conscience. It is the voice of God in every human heart. The conscience. It can be stippled, it can be uh, perhaps almost destroyed, but it is the voice of God in every human heart. So God always speaks to the conscience. You know jolly well what is right and wrong. You know that. We still do it, but we know it's wrong. And, but the reasoning, the reasoning says, well, I just can't quit. I just can't quit. The reasoning is, but it feels good. It feels good. The reasoning is, but what's so wrong with this? Come on, other people are done it. The, the, the reasoning, well, well, maybe it's not that bad. And as soon as you start reasoning with any temptation, you're done. Almost. Jesus refused to reason with the devil. I know what is right. It is written, and I won't have a thing to do with this. My friends, God is speaking in the conscience. It's like this. In your heart, it says, don't do it. Don't go there. Or go there. Yes, now is the time to do it. And your mind says, but why? But if, if. How many know what I'm talking about? Lift your hand or something. Jerk or move or kick. Okay, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, th this is so simple. We're just talking about temptation. But now I want to talk about the fourth temptation. The fourth temptation. What was the fourth temptation? As I looked at this, I realized that this temptation was the root of all 
the other temptations. The fourth temptation. What was it? What was the fourth temptation? Matthew chapter 16. Let's just check it out. Matthew chapter 16. Jesus had just asked the disciples in verse 21, weapon uh, 15, who do you say that I am? And uh, Peter had blurted out with great conviction and revelation, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. With great boldness, he had confessed, you are the son of God. And Jesus said, oh, blessed you are because you have had the revelation of who I really am. This is a tremendous moment, Peter. This is a tremendous moment upon this rock, the revelation of who I am. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But look at verse 21. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go up unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter who probably not ten minutes ago has had this tremendous revelation Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But verse 23, But he, Jesus, turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. An offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Then Jesus said unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life will lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Peter, who has just had this tremendous revelation, when he hears Jesus talking about death and dying and crucifixion and, and rejection and pain and suffering, he says, far be it from thee, master. This shall not happen. And Jesus said, recognize the same voice, the suggested shortcut. Get thee behind me, Satan. I know who you are. I know what you're up to. I know you're speaking through my beloved disciple. Satan, you are an offense to me. I recognize the offer of a shortcut. You're offering me a shortcut. I don't need to do the cross. I don't need the suffering. There's an easier way. You don't have to die to yourself. There's a shortcut. The temptation was to flee the suffering, to save himself. But Jesus knew the plan of God. He knew he must suffer. In John chapter 12 and verse 24, he had said, when the Gentiles began to ask after him, he said, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Ladies and gentlemen, the principle has never changed. Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. Jesus knew there was no shortcut to save the world, to save your soul. There was no shortcut. He knew he had to suffer. And from that moment, this temptation, which actually is the root of all the others, 
when you think it through, the pleasure, the pride, the power. This dying to self is the bottom of the bottom line. From that moment particularly, this temptation was thrown at him everywhere. All the way right to the moment he was hanging on the cross. And the mob surrounding him said, he saved others, but he cannot save himself. Come down now from the cross. If thou be the Christ, save thyself and save us too. It was cast in his teeth right to his death. Save yourself and save us too. You know, that was something that Jesus could never do. That even God in all his almighty power could not do. He could not save himself and you. He could have saved himself. He told the disciples, don't you know I could call 12 legions of angels who would have gently plucked the nails from his hands, carried him to glory, and he would have gone alone. He could have saved himself and in one sweep destroyed the world and everything and everybody lost. Or he could lose himself and save the world. And that's what he did. That's what he did. That's what he did. That's why you're here this morning. That's why you're here this morning. Because he died to save you. This temptation comes to you and I very strong. This whole thing about saving ourselves. It's not a very popular thing. It's not a very popular message, this dying to self. Let me read Matthew 16 and verses 25 and 26. Uh, 24 and 25, I'm sorry, again. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. You know, that's so good, I think we better all read it out loud. Let's all read it out loud. And Jesus said unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And then let's just go on to the next verse. For whoever will save his life shall lose it. And whoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. I'll just read the, the next one. It's not on the uh, overhead. But it says, for what is a man profited if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? The shortcut comes to you and I. You don't have to suffer. Let the pastor fast and pray. You don't have to suffer. As long as you got enough food in your belly, a lot of enough comforts in your home, a good bed, you know, I love the Lord. My friends, Jesus said, if you save your life, you will lose it. Whatever I keep for myself, could I summarize it that way? Whatever I keep for myself will eventually be gone. The only thing I will keep is what I give away. You know what, folks? The gospel is not about self-realization. It's about dying to yourself. You know, God's plan for you, yes, he is a good God. Maybe I'll just diverse for a minute. He is a good God. How do you count goodness? Is that his character or is it when you're blessed? God is a good God. 
his plan for you and I, ladies and gentlemen, was never, never to make you happy. I think I heard a subliminal groan. His plan for you was never to make you happy. It might happen. His plan was for you to die to yourself in glory to him. The gospel is not about self-realization. Oh, I'm blessed, therefore, God is a good God. No, no. I'm blessed because of his mercy. He is a good God whether I'm blessed or not. He is a good God whether I have difficulties or circumstances or not. He is a good God because he is good. It is who he is. And it doesn't depend on my happiness. It depends on his character and my willingness to say, all the glory to God. How many are wishing you hadn't come this morning? No, no, let me see. How many have heard what I said and wished you didn't? No. <laughs> I, I, I hope you're understanding because this is a powerful principle that is so often overlooked. I am so thankful. I am very happy. I am, I am so happy. But my happiness is not because God chose to, or, or because of, you know, some good things in my life. It's because he has given me the grace to be happy. If his plan had been to make me happy, I can assure you I would have had, have had a number of suggestions of how he could make me happy. <laughs> how many think you could list off a few suggestions? <laughs> but that's not his plan. His plan is that he is glorified in whatever happens. If you save your life, you will lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, the same shall save it. Galatians 2.20, Paul said it this way, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Nothing matters. I'm dead. Nothing matters. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I don't want you to think I've arrived. God's still working on me. There's still moments I like to give him suggestions. Folks, I hope you're understanding my challenge. If he can just be glorified, whether I live or whether I die, whether the circumstances are good or not good, if he can just be glorified, that's all that matters. How many can say amen to that? Or uh, I mean, it's not easy. It's not easy, but how many understand? If you understand what I'm saying, just say amen. amen. The old-fashioned gospel is that of self-discipline and self-denial for the glory of God. And there is no shortcut. The devil would offer us many shortcuts. Have it now. Come on. And I want to challenge you in the days and months ahead. There may be very, very serious times when we discover nothing matters. Even life doesn't matter. All that matters is knowing him. For the Christians in Turkey that were in that center, epicenter, all, if there were any Christians there, all that matters is Jesus. For frontline Christians in Ukraine, and there are many, I've been there, all that really matters is Jesus. I, I, I want you to understand this. I want it to be a challenge as to me. How did he overcome this temptation? This of all temptations. How did Jesus overcome it? 
I find the battle in Matthew chapter, Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26, I see how he did it. In Matthew chapter 26, in verses 37 to 39, I see how he did it. Matthew chapter 26, 37. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. And he saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. Verse 39, And he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, O my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. That, my friends, is how he did it. If he, our Lord, our Master, our Savior, our example, our God, was willing to come to a point of saying, I don't like this. I wish there was a shortcut. Is there a shortcut? Please let there be a shortcut. If it be possible, can you give me a shortcut? He was in such an agony, his blood vessels, his, his, his skin vessels burst and he sweat drops of blood. There was an agony. Pleading. There was an agony. Not that he wanted to, to get out of God's will, but he was looking in case there might be a shortcut. That which was thrown in his face is alive for the shortcut. There's a shortcut. Is there, Father, a shortcut? In the Garden of Gethsemane, the battle was fought. And the battle was won. Where's that piano player? We're going to close. The battle was fought and the battle was won by this phrase. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Hell trembled at the words because hell knew it had lost. The real battle was in that garden when Jesus submitted his will to the will of the Father. I want to ask again, how many really got what I had to say? You, you heard what I said. You might not like it, you, but you heard what I said. Just before we close in prayer, there may be some that are visitors here today. I don't know. Maybe there's some church members that are here. You've, you've ridden along with, with the wagon, but you've never submitted to Jesus Christ. You don't know him as your Savior. You've never committed your life to him as your Savior. You haven't begun this journey. But this morning, I would like to pray for you. I want you to hold up your hands right there where you're sitting. If this is your first time here or if you are a church member, but you realize that things are not as they should be, would you hold up your hand? Father, if there are some in this room, maybe they're afraid, maybe they're shy, maybe they're this or that. But Lord, I just ask that if there's anyone that's not really in relationship with you, that you will call them and save them in Jesus' name. For more information about Embassy Church, visit our website at embassychurch.ca.